Dior Talks. This year, for the fifth edition of Dior Lady Art, ten contemporary artists were invited to put their creative stamp on the Lady Dior bag. Listen as each of these artists shares their personal experience of transforming the Lady Dior in the latest edition of the Dior Talks podcast series, available on all platforms. South African contemporary artist Chris Soul, our latest guest on the Dior Talks podcast, is obsessed with the idea of reworking everyday items, transforming mundane single-use objects into rich, sensual sculptures that challenge perceptions of value. For the fifth edition of Dior Lady Art, this master of trompe reworked the surface of the iconic Lady Dior bag to evoke cowrie shells or organic growths, which, upon closer inspection, are made from folded beer caps and salvaged toothpicks. Drawing parallels between the elaborate process behind the assemblage of the Lady Dior and the painstaking handcraft in his work, the artist introduces a new form of couture embroidery in his creations. In a witty twist, on one bag, the letter O charm has been redesigned as a bottle opener, creating a contrast between high fashion and banal functionality. I'm Katia Foreman, a Paris-based journalist, and you're listening to the Dior Talks podcast. So Chris, I was saying I'm absolutely fascinated by your wool sculptures made from beer bottle caps that resemble baskets or gleaming ropes of gold, which I believe is a nod to the mining history of Johannesburg, where you're based, the city of gold. Yeah. How did recycled single-use items end up becoming your main medium? I mean, was this just a simply a case of being a cash-strapped art student? I think something like that in the beginning, yeah. And I mean, I actually took um, I took a page out of a another artist's book, um, an artist by the name of Mark Bradford. He's quite well known. All right. I think he represented um, USA at the Venice Biennale a few times, or last year, last session at least. Uh And he had this this sort of quote that stuck in my mind about um, utilizing materials that exist within the social fabric of our world Mm. and utilizing them in such a way that we can create comments through them. And I thought that, you know, that's a nice way of making work that's contemporary in the sense that the materials themselves are contemporary and they're sort of loaded with the significance of our moment. So it was both sort of the the necessity of making art without sort of means Mm -hmm. as well as the kind of like allure of of doing something that maybe had a resonance to the here and now. These recycled elements, I mean, do you go around collecting them? Where do you source them from? Is this from like a a never-ending pub crawl? Like, tell me a bit about... (laughs) Something like that, actually. It's funny that I actually did my first work with, with beer bottle tops specifically in a year that I decided to go completely sober. So it was kind of this uh-huh. strange, yeah. The irony. The irony, right? But <laughs> what, what actually happened was just through navigating the center of Johannesburg, walking through it, you know, catching lifts and whatever as a student, you kind of just become attuned to your surroundings. And I remember once seeing this sort of glint of gold in the pavement and it was just a bottle top. It turned out to be a bottle top 
lying right. in the gutter. And, but there was this, this disappointment almost at this, you know, bottle top instead of it being something more valuable, whatever that might have been. Um, and that was really, I think, a moment that stood out. And I just started seeing these forms kind of like repeated in, in public spaces, kind of discarded. And then also it would be something that I'd fiddle with, you know. So on the Dior bags, what I quite like is that my first sort of instinct with these beer bottle tops was to fold them in half Mm -hmm. and fiddle with them in my hand, which recalled to me like a cowrie shell. Right. Um, Something that I would pick up on the beach with with family on a holiday over over Christmas because summer's our our Christmas in the Southern Hemisphere. So we would Mm -hmm. all go to the beach and stroll up and down the beach and have family competitions who can pick up the most cowrie shells. And so there was this kind of formal link there. And then it kind of extended itself because cowrie shells are a pre-colonial form of currency and this kind of potent cultural signifier. Okay. And um, yeah, and beer bottle tops themselves were often like used in, in trade for like labor or even like the fact that most beer bottle tops are printed in the color gold kind of Uh gives up these signifiers of value and suggestions of kind of commodity. Right, so there's all these layered messages. Um, mm. And you have this kind of Midas touch way of, of taking these mundane um, single-use objects and totally transforming them into these rich, sensual sculptures that challenge perceptions and notions of value, as you said. So what was your reaction mm. on being approached to reinterpret the Lady Dior, which is a major luxury symbol? It's one of the most visible icons of the House of Dior. I mean, once the, the shock of it wore off, you know, um, just the opportunity itself, then you kind of start to think, well, what can I bring to the table in the face of this incredible legacy, you know, mm. like deal with 70 plus year leg- legacy. And I mean, what I can bring is my work and my observations and my sensitivities. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, I think I do have this this particular kind of like approach to materials that's kind of... Um, involved with the notion of the sublime or this way of working with everyday materials that pushes them to this point just beyond recognition or somewhere yeah. where they begin to transcend themselves. Playing on illusion. Sure, which, which, which I think holds the viewer's attention enough in, in my hope that they at least begin to ask questions beyond the surface of the material. So, with, you know, and what interested me, for example, was that this kind of conceptual thinking that runs through my practice was already prevalent in the Lady Dior heritage itself, like Mm -hmm. that kind of iconic canage design that, you know, came to be used within Maison Dior and on the surface of the pressed Lady Dior leather bags, Mm -hmm. you know, was kind of, I think, an observation that Christian Dior had from the salon chairs that were on the the sort of the seating for the runway, his first runway show, which he then reincorporated. Exactly. He used to use those chairs. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a beautiful kind of parallel to the way that I kind of look at my immediate environment and try and find openings for engagement or reinterpretation. Can you describe your Lady Dual bags and, and the different materials and techniques that you developed with the houses Petite Main? I guess we started looking at, you know, kind of the, the previous Lady Dior uh, iterations, the Lady Dior art iterations and, and how other contemporary artists had brought their own like tactile or, or conceptual sensibilities to the, the collaboration. And that was quite nice that this bag, in a sense, became a canvas or an exhibition space for kind of some aspects of my own work. Mm. And um, 
And yeah, I mean, it was, it was so interesting that I had these kind of concepts in the beginning. Like, I mean, a lot of my work makes use of the threaded bottle top on these kind of like, like golden ropes, as you sort of called them earlier, which mm. when we considered that for the Lady Dior bag, we realized that the pure weight of that alone wouldn't make sense. Right. So it was interesting how that concept then, you know, shifted, you know, out of the field because it wasn't a possibility. And then other ideas came to the forefront. So uh-huh. I returned to an earlier work that I'd done with these bend caps, which was in, in, in many ways almost a standalone piece. And it then kind of rippled out into, okay, what can we do with the surface of the bag and how can we treat the surface of the bag? And one of the things that I really like about the finished, uh, two of the finished bottle top bags is there's this kind of play with light as they're turned by the carrier and as someone's holding them and moving through space, this is kind of like play on light and play on illusion that happens. It's the same thing that happens with my works as a viewer moves around it in an exhibition space, for example. Yeah, there's one of them that um, reminds me of your your toothpick wall sculptures, um, where mm. is kind of soft, furry, vegetal looking, mm. organic forms. But then, actually, upon close inspection, they're made from thousands of spiky toothpicks. So, um, yeah, what kind of illusions did you want to create here with the with the lady yours? Well, I think in that in, with that specific bag of the trio. Um, I, I've been aware of the kind of like connotations of fur or faux fur that my toothpick works bring about these kind of flayed pelts or these animal skins. And so they've kind of become symbolic socio-political bodies that I exhibit that become, you know, platforms for engagements, whichever with the viewer. However, with mm-hmm. the Dior bag in particular, I thought, you know, it's, it's an interesting kind of just acknowledgement of the, the sort of animal organic origins of the bags materials themselves and right yeah i think i think it felt like a an appropriate kind of combination to make maybe it was an instinctual one more than a cerebral one for me um your work on on the lady deals um it looks like a, a new form of couture embroidery and we can compare the painstaking handcraft at play in both your work and the elaborate construction of the lady Dior bag which is made from mm. 144 pieces is a process that requires patience, passion, precision, savoir-faire. Wow. Um, you talked about parallels earlier between the two universes, but tell me a bit about mm-hmm. what it was like working with the, the Dior team. I believe in your in your studio you like to work um, as part of a team. So, mm. yeah, did you see a lot of parallels coming through? Yeah, definitely, actually. Um, I think I'm quite a a people person kind of a somewhat of an extrovert in some measure and so this idea of the lone artist in their studio I don't think has ever fully appealed to me no. so I've always kind of brought people in and anyone who's really working in the realm of sculpture today is I think you know aware that it's not a one-person job yeah. so you know that kind of thinking has been there so this idea of collaboration just stretched a little bit further with the creation process behind the bags and I mean, we actually had one of the designers from Southern Guild sit down with me for a day and we put together the PDF of kind of initial Sparknotes ideas. Okay. And then when when two of the Dior team members, Camille and Alexander, came down to Cape Town, they brought this incredible, like, big, extra large bag of 
you know, goodies that we yeah. sprayed out on the table and kind of <laughs> played around with the different options. And that was wonderful for me as a very tactile person to kind of see, okay, this is the texture of this handle and this okay. is how, you know, it could, it could align with this bag. So there was this back and forth. And then, you know, sadly, the world has kind of spiraled into a series of lockdowns since then and everything's been yeah. online. Yeah. And so we've just kind of traded little notes and sketches and emails back and forth. Um, uh-huh. And they've, they've done an amazing job of trying to pull this off despite all the kind of, um, you know, difficulties that came their way. So what kind of goodies did they bring along to your studio? You talked about them tipping out this bag of goodies. So we're talking about different leathers. Or- <laughs> yeah, there was a whole bunch of different things. I mean, I had not considered the kind of depth to which we could take this collaboration. And we, we went really into the very detail of the bag, even as far as the, the stitching of the handle um, okay. in one of the bags, collaborating with the green of the bottle tops. And so there was just this, this subtle, but like kind of important link between the handle and the, the body of the bag that felt, you know, kind of something that brought unity to the whole thing. I mean, right. so we had those sorts of conversations. I was amazed that they sort of had shrunk a lot of the materials that I'd worked with to this kind of manageable lady dual medium medium bag size. So the bottle tops were now like maybe half the size they usually are. The toothpicks had become like these miniature half toothpicks. And the kind uh-huh. of painstaking detail and craftsmanship that had gone into um, you know, handling these materials exactly mimicked the kind of work we put into my sort of large scale pieces that we make in the studio. Exactly. Yeah, it was it was really nice to see that kind of um sculptural approach mirrored on both sides. Um, of the collaboration. Do you think it will have an influence on on your practice? Maybe you're going to switch from toothpicks to sewing needles. <laughs> well, that would make it, if it was stainless steel, that would make it weatherproof and quite nice to go outdoors. But um, I don't know. I mean, um, I think my work is almost self-generating in the sense that one piece kind of has a, a loose thread on it that I pull on and, and create on in a new piece. And there's kind of residual con- you know, concepts that are left over and unresolved in one work that are kind of carry on into another piece and then it builds onto another thing. And there's studio debris from previous projects that gets incorporated into new things. So I never really know where the next idea is going to come from. And okay. I can only plan ahead so much. So who knows where you know, what kind of seeds this project leaves behind and what springs up after that. Can you share some of the the fun, smaller details that feature on the bags? I believe there's a bottle opener. Oh, that's, yeah, that's my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> so we we substituted the O in the Dior Hanging Chomp for a functional beer bottle opener. And uh, I think it's a wonderfully cheeky gesture, but it's been incorporated so nicely. And there's actually yeah. another type of bottle opener converted to a zipper in the interior of the bag as well. So, you know, there's these kind of hidden goodies that you don't see on the outside. Um, And the conversation stretched even as far as the interior lining of the bag where, so part of my research into bottle tops led me to the factory that produces them for most of Southern Africa. And I encountered this very curious object lying around their recycling section where they had these metal sheets with multiple bottle top logos overlapping and printed on top of one another. And right. what happens is they run these press, these sheets through a metal, through a sort of lithographic screen printing press, and they print on these logos before they get punched out in the machine. But some 
of these sheets they keep behind to clean the press and run them through again before changing over to another project. And they become these kind of these accidental buildups of pattern and shape that are, that are just made up of logos at the end of the day, right. but that are kind of mishmashed together and they end up resembling some sort of shui um, shui local textile print that we have in South Africa. So I've okay. been collecting and archiving those and we actually used two or three samples of my archive to create the interior lining of the bag. So there's all these kinds of layers, which I, you know, was just very happy to see incorporated and find their place. Chris, from a European perspective, one could perceive a link between your work and the Italian Arte Povera movement, even if, for me, your universe very much builds upon African traditions. Your artworks recall totems from ethnic tribes or traditional African jewellery, yet they're made from discarded industrial elements such as bottle tops. Can you tell me about your key inspirations? You mentioned the beach earlier. Um, That's a great question, actually. I think the beach is significant because I sort of grew up on the beach from the ages of like one to five or six so those okay. were really, really like kind of young and formative years. And I've, I've often reflected on how much that kind of left a residual impact in, you know, in my kind of thinking and imagination. Yeah. I, think, I think my parents did a great job of allowing me a space for curiosity and kind of questioning and exploration. So I spent a lot of time like reading or playing outside or building things. So there was this kind of very um, adventurous childhood and, um, Okay. Yeah, and then I think the reading has just continued. So when I kind of decided that there was this interest in art, specifically because South Africa is somewhat geographically removed from the rest of the world and especially kind of this exhibition circuit that happens in Europe and America, a lot of these sort of like art world, yeah. art key movements and kind of key works I've, I've seen through secondhand sources, images or books or read writings on them or seen them online. Um, and it was only until much mm-hmm. later that I started traveling and seeing them for myself. Um, so I do definitely draw a lot of inspiration from, you know, different art movements throughout history. I think you mentioned the Arte Povera movements. That's like for sure a major, you know, reference point for me, especially when I was a student. So I was sort of looking at that as seeing how these artists got away with what they got away with, you know, that was kind of the, yeah. the surprise for me that you could do that and call it art. And then once that kind of settled in, there's this kind of, um, you know, growth within my own practice. But um, I do look at nature, but I don't draw directly from it as a, as a reference point. I think what, what I keep coming back to are things that grab me in my everyday life. So as I move through the world, certain things catch my eye or, or my ear, or I find myself fiddling with something in my hand over a drink or over dinner. I mean, and I do that with both bottle tops and toothpicks. Um, so those seem to be starting right. points for my work. And it's really this, this, this moment, anything that kind of makes me do a double take and look at it again okay. and kind of shake me out of this kind of normal rhythm of daily life. I think that's almost a, a key inspiration point. And then from there, it's kind of what happens to it when you bring it into this, this strange realm of the studio and, and apply different forces and different questions to it that it really only then becomes kind of considered in any art context. And this idea of questioning consumerism, 
man's relationship with nature. Mm. Um, there's a strong ecological message behind your work, uh, which is very much of mm. part of the millennial mindset. You're only 26. Mm -hmm. How old are you? Soon enough. Yeah, 25. 25. You're a baby. You're a baby. <laughs> Basically. Did, did you set out to create a message with your related yours? Um, do you think that brands need to rethink the way they connect with the younger generations in terms of adopting a more sustainable approach to fashion? I think that, let me answer the question of message first. I don't think I, I set out with an intention to uh, relay a message. I think in that sense, you know, the work would become more propaganda or there'd be this kind of reducing art to a vessel that carries a, a meaning. But mm -hmm. I, I do believe that because of the, the sort of reality and the socio-political significance of the materials that I use, that message is, it's embedded in there. It's, you know, you, it's going to be there. So I kind of give myself the freedom to play with these materials in the studio yeah. With, with the consideration in mind that they're going to be seen and they need to stand on their own two legs, so to speak, yeah. in the world. But I give myself the freedom to play, knowing that that meaning will, through the work, resolve itself. I think right. with regards to fashion, I mean, I know, I don't know, I guess perhaps, I mean, I think recycling is all the rave is a buzzword and it's very millennial, as you said. But I guess it all depends, in my opinion, on how this recycling or this kind of more ecological approach is carried out. Like, is right. it sustainable? Mm -hmm. Is it ethical in the, in its relationships to the communities it's based in and, mm -hmm. um, and whatnot, or is it simply window dressing on a larger problem? Right. You know, and I think on the fashion front specifically, we've kind of through this conversation touched on the, the idea of craft a little bit. And I think I play with the notion of craft in, in contemporary art a little bit. Um, but, in my opinion, there's these craft-based practices that sort of stretch back through time. Mm -hmm. And uh, these craft-based practices, I think, could be another way of thinking about making items which outlive even the lifetime of the original user. Right. And it's to such a standard that perhaps the desire for the new can be replaced rather for a desire for the lasting. So on the fashion front, I'm much more interested in the longevity and the quality of something yeah. as a potential solution for this vicious cycle of consumerism. So these are very much heirloom pieces that you've created um, that hopefully will be handed down through generations. Could we circle back to the bags? Um, could you describe them in a bit more detail in terms of the materials that feature on them? Sure. So at the moment we have three bags as part of this Lady Dior art collaboration and um, the small, the lady, the mini it has these black kind of arrayed, um, bent, bottle top-like forms on the surface. Some of them are matte black, some of them are shiny black. And uh, we decided to create the charm and the handle clasps in, in silver. So there's a complement to the kind of coldness of the black and the shininess of the metallic black. And uh, there's this beautifully well-placed silver cap on the front. Contrasting hardware. Mm -hmm. And... And similarly with this one and the green one, the green one is arrayed in a slightly different fashion, which actually references more directly the one work, which is titled I See You, See Me, See You, which is the first large-scale piece that I did with the bent bottle top. And with that piece in particular, I was playing with the notion of the cowrie shell being featured in African sculpture particularly, and even around the world, 
as as the sort of signifier of the eye and as sort of the bent form and okay. and, and you see it sometimes even in death masks from Mesopotamia. So I was uh, I was playing on this idea uh-huh. of the eye referencing these sort of cultural signifiers and that work is that a sorry is that a symbol of protection or in many ways yeah or, or in many ways for me i took it as a symbol in that particular work of seeing and what it means to truly see and and how we perceive and navigate uh-huh. through the world which ties into sort of my phenomena phenomenological kind of approach to art making um right so i do draw and, and tease out quite a few references at the same time while hopefully not hitting anyone over the head with them too much. But anyways, in the green bag specifically, we have this kind of central focal point, which is then, you know, arrayed outwards. And on both the black bag and the dark green bag, you have this beautiful relationship with light. As these bags move and, and, uh-huh. and, and are held by the viewer, they really shimmer and come alive in the same way that my pieces do. So I'm very interested in how that's translated between, you know, a specifically specific art piece and then sort of a, a fashion piece. Um, and, and I mean, I mentioned the, the, the beautiful details, like the stitching. So in the green bag, for example, the dark green caps, you have just this, this very faint dark green stitching that kind of goes into the handle. So there's a nice relationship there. Uh, and on all three bags, okay. going even into the third bag, which is the, the toothpick bag, if you want to refer to it in that way, we, you've, got this, yeah. you've got this bottle top opener, replacement O in the Dior charm. So it, there's this nice sense of continuity yeah. that holds them together. And in the toothpick bag in particular, we actually drew from uh, a number of different works that I've done to create that particular work where we, we decide to leave some parts of the, the leather in the bag and even the, the canage pattern visible, which I really liked, and other parts covered right. up by the, by the sort of toothpick growth around it. And we actually decided to... Okay insert these these plastic um uh what do i call them just these these plastic um little pieces into the the toothpick array both as a reference to Uh how you receive toothpicks in most commercial settings in a restaurant for example most of them are wrapped in plastic and you know you then remove the toothpick um which which for me makes the the toothpick feel more of a consumerized product um, but also it yeah. actually served a very practical function in the bag where these little pieces of plastic also kind of protected any snagging from happening on the, on the, you know, by whoever's carrying the bag. So it, it was interesting yeah. how these practical concerns through actually making a bag that can be held and handled became yeah. aesthetic and creative hurdles for us to overcome and, and find ways around in it. No, in a, in a creative way. Thinking back to the House of Dior, how much did you explore the, the history of the house? I mean, I knew very little about Dior before this, to be absolutely honest with you. My main points of reference were through my yeah. mother. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. I think she had a Dior bag, a lady Dior bag actually at one point. And um, okay. I knew a little bit. Also, I think my mother even spoke about Princess Diana and then you know, I, I made the link consciously a little bit later as well there, knowing that she was yeah. the first sort of recipient of the, or the, at least the most famous recipient of the Lady Dior bag in the, initially. So, yeah. you know, those are interesting starting points, but we, we've sort of touched on the, the rattan pattern from the canage stitching from the salon chairs. And I, 
you know, yes. I just thought that was a beautiful, you know, reference point uh, that came about through yeah. my research into the history of the Maison Dior as well as the Lady Art, Lady Dior bags. And I think, you know, going back to that kind of, that, that approach to living and, and looking in the world, you know, I think it, it's wonderful that no discipline has the monopoly on that, you know, that no discipline has the monopoly yeah. on, on a way of seeing. Um, and, and that can run through fashion, it can run through art, it can run through design, it can run through architecture. Um, so, yeah, it, and I think that's the sign of, of something that's, that's truly great is, is those links to reality that then prove its longevity and its legacy. And are you quite amazed with how it turned out, this idea of condensing your universe um, on a bag, which is quite <laughs> unusual? Absolutely. Probably the, the biggest thing I'll take away from this is actually just the confidence of it. I mean, when we, I had the chance of interacting with Camille and Alexander who brought down all the samples from the, the, the Dior studio, yeah. I was, we basically had two hours of uninterrupted fun. It was like I was a five-year-old kid playing with Lego <laughs> again and I wasn't questioning, am I building the right thing or am I asking the big world questions or am I answering the big questions of the world? It was really this kind of like playful approach of, of how does this fit and how can I grow this and how can I improve it and how can I, you know, and so all these kind of very practical, you know, kind of, things came along and then it's like, oh, what if we made it into a, a key, like a, a bottle top opener? And what if this inside zipper was this other opener? And then what if the lining resonated with this? And it just kind of became this, this wonderful exploration. And I think both from my own experience in the studio and, and exploring new projects, uh, as well as kind of the, the wonderful creative experience I had kind of involved in the initiation of these bags it's just this thing of removing doubt and self-doubt yeah. and and being being open to just you know just going at things and and not questioning yourself too much i think those are those are wonderful lessons to learn and and it's wonderful things to be affirmed in as well that you know you can trust your instincts and you can run with things and you can be open to the world and and see how reality resolves itself so you really felt quite free to be poetic you felt yeah very very free yeah. it was yeah it was very exciting and and i think what's what's great about this sort of um project is is if you come to someone and say do anything you want it's very unlikely that they'll do anything at all yeah because you've got no restrictions it be overwhelming but because there were these Exactly. But because there were these restrictions on the project, like, okay, this bag can't weigh 10 yes. kilograms because someone has to carry uh -huh. it. You know? And so we can't have like pure metal threaded bottle tops, like just like, like hanging down from this bag, <laughs> dragging on the floor. <laughs> you know, th that meant that I had a kind of... You're like, has to be functional. In some sense, yeah. So it was nice that, and I mean, you know, I know that art is notoriously considered non-functional. But even art yeah. has to account for its own relationship to gravity. So something has to be able to either stand on its, you know, stand on its own two legs in the gallery space or hang on a wall. And if it falls off the wall, well, then it breaks. And so, you know, there is this kind of <laughs> functional responsibility that goes into the planning and the yeah. making of a work. And in the same way, I think that that was, you know, shown in the process of making the deal bags and, 
So I love those. Those little, those little corners that we had to navigate and those little restrictions that were in place actually created very creative solutions to our problems. And, and I'm very pleased with how we kind of navigated and resolved those. And just to wrap, Chris, I'm curious to know, um, your mother must be yes. so proud of you. What does she think of the bags? <laughs> Yeah, she loves them. Um, I'll be honest with you, I roped her into quite a few stages of the process. I mean, I, I made her seal a, a non-formal NDA with me so that she wasn't allowed because <laughs> I wasn't allowed to spill the beans. So I was making sure she wasn't. But um, I, I have my lovely sister as well and my mom and I actually, I mean, you know, we all kind of just chatted about it and it was nice for me to hear their input. And um, I mean, most of the time they just absolutely loved it. But you know, we spoke through little things like, you know, the kind of this idea of it, it not being like catching on clothing or scratchy was something that we had to resolve in some components yeah. of the bag. And while the surface looks very textured and kind of in, in many ways, even potentially aggressive, it's surprisingly kind of gentle. Um, and, okay. and so that was, you know, something, I, so I was grateful for all their perspectives, but my mom's beaming. I've made sure that, uh, that she, she, she has a, she has a whole pass to borrow any bag she wants for any night she's going out on. So she's a very that happy lady. That is so cute. <laughs> yeah.